0: This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin, with support from New Zealand On the Air.
1: It's 12 o'clock and you're on ORFM Dunedin. Over the next hour we take the pulse of Ortiporti Dunedin's creative scene. Interviews and commentary on theatre, dance, music, the visual arts and more. Welcome to Arts Hub. Kia ora. Good afternoon everyone. Welcome to the Arts Hub this Thursday the 22nd of July. Today our guests are Lucy Marinkovich, the Caroline Plummer Dance Fellow at the University of Otago, who will talk to us about her community project, In Motion, Dancing with Parkinson's. Then we'll hear from jazz duo Karen Reed and Alex Walken, who've been working hard to set up the Albany Street Jazz Loft, which has its inaugural gig tomorrow night, Friday the 23rd of July. So Lucy Marinkovich received... Uh, the University of Otago's Caroline Plummer Dance Fellowship for 2021, which is for six months, finishing in August this year. Lucy is an artist, choreographer, educator, practitioner and performer who works with young people, those with disabilities and also the are professional dancers. Her company, Borderline Arts Ensemble, has been lauded for the Surrealist-inspired Lobsters dance theatre production And in 2020, their latest commission was premiered at the New Zealand Festival. It explored the true story of a dance epidemic from the Middle Ages, Strasbourg 1518, which sounds totally fascinating. So welcome, Lucy. Thank you so much. (laughs) It's a real pleasure to have you on the show. Perhaps initially you could say a little about the Caroline Plummer Dance Fellowship and your thoughts around the project you saw as being beneficial to those in our community who have Parkinson's?
2: Uh, Maureen, I thank you so much for having me here Um, So yes, I am the 2021 Caroline Plummer Fellow in Community Dance which is given out by the Otago University, so I'm one of a few fellows, they have them in different disciplines and the Caroline Plummer Fellow is set up for dance, so Caroline was a student of the university around 20 years ago when she passed away very young of a um, very aggressive illness and her big vision was for dance in the community to um, come together as a way of kind of like bridging and um, creating stronger ties and so I'm one of uh, many fellows now all with very unique very different very beautiful projects Um, so it's been a real honour to be um, part of that very special group of people who have been contributing to the community here in Otepote so Um, my project is called In Motion Dancing with Parkinson's Um, it is a program of dance classes with exercises designed specifically um, for people living with the symptoms of Parkinson's disease it um, was inspired by a program that's been going for around 20 years or so in New York, it's where it started, called Dance for PD. Um, and this was run by the Mark Morris Dance Company in Brooklyn. Really phenomenal group. Um, it's been largely run by a man called David Leventhal there. And he has been uh, developing this pro- a program called Dance for PD with a whole bunch of researchers and scientists now feeding in. And um, the effect of dance for people living with Parkinson's disease is really quite transformational it's really incredible you see people walk in in one state of being and walk out um, in a completely different one so at the end of 2018 I had been working um, as the dance educator for the Royal New Zealand Ballet so going around the country delivering dance workshops and um, my partner and I, my partner Lucy and Johnson who's a composer, we got this phone call from the Arts Foundation of New Zealand. You can't apply to the Arts Foundation of New Zealand, you get these phone calls out of the blue saying that you've been selected for an award in honour by your senior peers. So that for us was the Harriet Friedlander New York Residency. Um, when I was in New York, this is where I went to the Dance for PD classes in Brooklyn throughout the year and participated in the classes, was a class assistant. So some people there did need, um, their Parkinson's was very advanced, they needed some physical assistance throughout the class or at the beginning and end, setting up and moving chairs, this kind of very basic thing that you know just needs to happen. So it was an extremely interesting year um, and that was definitely um, a highlight clearly a highlight for me of the experience of living in New York and then we came back to New Zealand and a few things happened in the middle, um, thank you COVID, but um, oh. at the uh, end of 2020 I found out that I'd been selected for this this year so um, I am here as a Caroline Plumber Fellow starting my own classes. So Dance for PD is a registered trademark programme so I can't call it the same thing, but I um, they, uh, David Leventhal and the Mark Morris group and the Dance for PD team they're very um, just energised and supportive of people taking the knowledge that they've done and just going and doing it in their communities they just want this work to be happening because it is so transformational and has such an incredible effect on people and communities so um, my programme is called In Motion Dancing with Parkinson's and it is um, a, a weekly class that we do here in Dunedin and it's performed with live music which is very special
1: That's amazing, live music.
2: Yeah, we are incredibly lucky here. We've had the unbelievable, um, unbelievably talented and just very lovely. All-around person Tessa Peterson, who's the concertmaster for the Dunedin Symphony Orchestra, playing her violin for our classes, uh. and it is sublime. Um, Tessa's just been completely wonderful. She's very, um, she's actually also very playful with her music. So she's brought in some incredible repertoire of hers of um, Bach and Strauss, but she's also been playing some sort of um, some other tunes. So we've got Colonel Bogey's March from the Bridge of a River <laughs> Choir, which is a really good one for keeping tempo. Um, so, you know, it, it's, we sort of approach the class in a very playful way, and Tessa's really understood that. And honestly, it's just been a total joy to work with her. She's a class act.
1: That's fantastic. Um, I have had things uh, to do with her, and she is she's a very amazing person, mm. and so approachable. So that's that's exciting. Having live music, that must have been very exciting for the people who were involved.
2: Um, it's also very exciting for me. <laughs> we actually, we um, it's really funny that we uh, with. Largely what I do is I work as a professional choreographer um, for contemporary dance and dance theatre and it's actually not so often that we get to work and perform and even rehearse with live music, even take classes. it's, um, um, It's an expense we often can't really afford and so Um, Again, Tessa's generosity has just been pretty phenomenal. But, yeah, we don't often get live music, but the important thing around it, because it is actually a really essential component of these classes, is the way that the brain um, reacts and fires up when we're listening to live music. It is very different to when we're hearing recorded sound. And so the purpose of the dance for um, Parkinson's classes is that... The information that I have as a dance teacher and somebody who has knowledge of the body, we say that that's just very useful to people living with Parkinson's disease, the way that we think around coordination and balance and strength and flexibility and the way that we layer all of these things together and then using live music as part of this experience is really important for the sense of artistry. So. The reason why that is is because it's the classes that I teach, they're not about physiotherapy. They're not actually even about dance therapy necessarily. They're really about the experience of being inside your body in a really positive way. So, um, we use as I'm describing exercises I'm talking about the way that a movement feels the kind of qualities of it the imagery behind it it's not about the kind of pedestrian action of push and pull and these things that you might sort of focus on a little bit more in a um, physiotherapy class designed to um, look at specific kind of movement pathways so it's really about the artistry and I had a lovely chat to a lady after class the other day and she was saying how you know in her previous year she had done a lot of dance and drama and it was yeah it was just sinking back into a part of herself that she hasn't experienced for a while so it's a really wonderful project I'm enjoying it immensely.
1: That's fantastic um and so it also it sounds like it involves the persons or the people in the classes creativity as well Um, so it's not a rigid structure that they as you say it's not the push pull um, and so that they can actually develop their inner vision as well perhaps
2: Absolute, absolutely. And the classes, it's very it's very playful. We have a lot of fun with each other. So I design the exercises around honestly, whatever kind of comes to me. <laughs> so we had one recently that was looking at Marariki and the stars. Um, I also watched a gardening programme on TVNZ On Demand recently, and it was called Oh gosh, what was it? It was such a fantastic show. Um, it was about people designing their own gardens and I'd watch this and I explained that, you know, this is what the next, the next exercise was going to be about gardening, little that I actually personally know about it. And, um, no, we had a very funny exercise because there were some pro gardeners in the room who <laughs> picked up on my very sus knowledge of um, uh, green thamari. So, yeah, no, it's It's very creative and, it's, um, yeah, it's very fun.
1: That's amazing. Um, so the ages of the people who have been involved, are they quite varied ages? Um, we always assume people to be a bit older, but not necessarily. Oh, that's
2: interesting. I I think in my... Um Uh, When I was a student I was working in retail And there were just a couple of things you never ask people Like Mm. the age or are you pregnant Mm. So I've just never asked I'm just happy to see them every week So around ages I'm not too sure But typical diagnosis for Parkinson's disease is around 60 So um, it's really that age group and above I think we have somebody turning 90 very soon Wow that is incredible I think I got that right not that's, naming names, but yes. That's
1: incredible. Yeah. Um, so if you've just joined us, I'm talking to Lucy Marinkovich, the University of Otago um, Caroline Plummer Fellow for 2021, whose project fo- focused on those in our community who have Parkinson's. Um, so I wondered if you thought that the participants will continue after the project finishes, um, you know, do do some of these movements on a regular basis...
2: I would hope so. Mm. I have um, one of the members of the class, Clive, is actually excellent at doing homework every week. So I might talk about some professional dance experiences that I've been in. Or I have a exercise in there which is inspired by the Signets, which is a um, small section of the ballet Swan Lake. Yes. So we have a, um, a somewhat simplified and not quite as fast version of the cygnets that we do in class and you know, yeah, Clive's fantastic. He's the one who went away and had a look at the original and came back knowing what to do. Um, he's wonderful. So, in terms of the class ongoing, I actually, yeah, I, I feel a real responsibility that I don't want to provide this and have it be a positive experience. And then for it to collapse or not continue and I go away so I'm now halfway through my residency and now that um, we've sort of really established the class and the kind of format and we've built a really lovely relationship between us all, now what my plan is to do is to bring in some other um, local Dunedin dance teachers so that they can come in and share the class with me and then when I leave it can keep going and then I'm Wellington based so I will be heading back there at the end of the year because it's where my partner and my cat live. um, And I hope to set up the classes there as well so we can run it in two places. That's That's the plan. That's the grand plan.
1: Well, I think that sounds amazing and I really think that... It's something that will work. I really think that's such a smart idea to involve local dance uh, teachers as well.
2: And there are some fantastic dance practitioners and dance teachers and choreographers living here in Dunedin. So, um, yeah, it really is my hope, and I feel, um, I feel quietly confident that it's going gonna, it's gonna to work. There are also the people that I know who are here working in dance are just lovely people, so yeah. I think the class will just adore them. Yeah.
1: It would be re- really something else to think that this would um, happen in all central areas and even out in the country, you know, in New Zealand, because you know it's such you know a, a mean thing for people to get something as they get older, and to have something inspiring like this would be really quite something.
2: Yeah, I think, I think the thing that even I personally like the most about the classes is just sort of how social they are they're mm. such a lovely group we really yeah it's a very kind of joyful part of my week and I think this idea of like coming together and no it's actually people sort of say well do you do it for other people it's experiencing um, or have experienced different things it really is very specifically a class for people living with the symptoms of Parkinson's disease because I design the classes for symptom specific concerns so for example like I would never um yeah we don't do too many pirouettes or turns in one leg in this class and we don't step backwards and there are a couple of just Uh. very sort of simple things um simple but very important things around what I would and would not choreograph into the exercises and so when you look at other um, um, things that people experience they come with a whole different set of symptoms and ways to address it. So um, part of that is safety for me as a teacher that I know what I'm providing and that it's going to be safe and and beneficial but also for the people participating.
1: Yes and I think bringing in uh, local teachers means that they will also know those not really rules, but um, ideas around not doing particular kinds of things. and
2: guidelines. So Mm -hmm. I think it's very important to say that the wonderful thing that the um, initial Dance for Parkinson's Dance for PD programme has done is that they have teacher training workshops that they do in various countries all around the world. And the initial one that I attended here in New Zealand at the end of 2018, before I went off to New York, Ah. that was where it really started for me, was run by the completely wonderful... Um, Dr. Erica Rose Jeffries who's working over in Australia and so her program there of Dance for PD so she's a registered teacher so it's under that name so she works with ballet companies and local groups and she's really it's really um, spreading into different parts of the country and it's really becoming very established there so it would be wonderful to um, invite Erica back to Um, do another workshop for more teachers because everything we know around the statistics that have been coming out I believe it was either from the University of Canterbury or from the University of Otago, I'm so sorry I don't want to attribute the wrong research (laughs) to the wrong person Um, but uh, yes, we know that the numbers of people living with Parkinson's disease in New Zealand are only going to be increasing within Mm. the next 10 years, Um, we're also all living longer so we're going to have to find ways to manage how we um, yeah make sure that people in our community are living healthy, happy, really fulfilled, engaged lives. So this is a nice way to do it. And if we can start it, if we can start it now, and then it's a known thing that people know they can do. Again, one of the participants said, we, we've been told how good dancing is for us. We've been told how good dancing is for us. But yeah, it's different to just heading along to any other tango class and mm-hmm you know Mm. not being able if you're new to dance entirely not knowing how to adapt or manipulate exercises that are given to you by a teacher for your needs it can be a you know professional dancers can struggle with adapting things on the fly so um, that this is specific for the community is I think um, quite an important thing and I think the sooner we can do it and establish it in various centres the better but for capability reasons, I don't want to overstretch myself too fast. We'll start with Dunedin and Wellington.
1: Yes, exactly. Yes, have got to keep that little cat happy yes. and, and your partner. <laughs> um, and so um, I was just going to ask a little bit about your um, job with the um, New Zealand Ballet Company. I mean, that's pretty amazing as well. So... Do you work with them, sort of? Do you travel around?
2: Ah, so the work that I did with the Royal New Zealand Ballet was in 2018, and that was ah. their, as their dance educator, and it was a really fantastic role. I really genuinely loved the work so much. So I travelled throughout schools in New Zealand, teaching literally everybody from like the new entrants up to the senior school leavers, um, doing very, very different things with each group as well. So a lot of um, schools would ask for a creative dance workshop so not specifically ballet but just getting the children moving and thinking about ideas in a kind of kinetic way so this was really fun and I love doing this I've done this throughout my career so I started as a dancer with Footnote Dance Company and Deidre Tarrant as a the director and founder of the company, phenomenal dance educator and so this was embedded into the company at that stage and so yes, touring throughout New Zealand, teaching dance sort of been part of my, uh, the backbone of my career in a way and then the other fun thing about the ballet company job is that some schools would want workshops based on the current repertoire so we would go and learn a section of the show and then go teach it to the students and then often they would go and see the school's matinee so when the um, Dance of the Snowflakes came on at the end, they could all point and go, (laughs) I just learned that, I know that. That's exciting. Um, Which is really fantastic because you can hear hear them in the audience, the kind of um, uh, excitement of recognition. It was really fun. Yeah, that's And then alongside that work, we also did um, audio described ballets and touch tours, which was really fantastic. So the audio um, described ballets were... Um, done by audio described Aotearoa who are based up in Auckland but would travel throughout the country and this was really, the work that they do and the collaboration with the ballet company is phenomenal, it is great so please have a look on the ballet company website when they're doing their national tours and you can see what shows they have which are audio described Um, but incredible experiences and just making ballet and dance and theatre attendance as accessible as possible which is what we all want.
1: Uh, it's marvellous, it really is. Um, so we still have a little time and I wondered if maybe you would like to talk to us a little about um, the uh, dance epidemic. <laughs> was it in Austria in the Middle Ages? <laughs> it sounds Austrian, or I'm not sure. Strasbourg
2: time. was, um, at the time it would have been its own city state Uh, or municipality, but now it's part of France, but it's really, it's very much on the cusp between France and Germany Um, when my partner, Lucien and I went there when we were doing the research for the work and it feels very German Um, I mean people speak French but there's definitely an accent the um, food feels very German so it's part of the Alsace region, so it really is right on the cusp, um, and it is if anybody remembers the Disney film The Beauty and the Beast, this is when she's sort of wandering around the town at the very beginning with those gorgeous um, half-timber houses. The animators had pictures of Colmar, a town just south of okay. Strasbourg, so that actually that is where the inspiration came from. Uh, so it is very fairy tale-like. Yes. Um, so the, I also am the artistic director and choreographer for my dance company, which is called Borderline Arts Ensemble. So with Borderline we do work um, across genres and disciplines and formats So it might be large scale um, performances and large theatres Or it might be site specific work or installation So um, the name kind of lets us sort of get away with anything mm. I feel mm. um, That was the plan And Strasbourg 1518 was our most recent work It was commissioned by the New Zealand Festival for 2020 and Um, performing at Circa Theatre in Wellington and we were if not one of, then the first show in New Zealand to get cancelled because of the pandemic in 2020 which was quite devastating on an um, ironic level because we'd made a show about a plague that got cancelled because of the pandemic (laughs) so that kind of really hurt as we all went into (laughs) lockdown we sort of retreated licking our wounds with the rest of the country Um, and then Yes, in this year, um, beginning of 2021, we performed it again in the Auckland Arts Festival and Circa. So, the work Strasbourg 1518 is about the very real events that happened 500 years ago in Strasbourg. there had been previous dancing plagues or dancing epidemics throughout history, but this one is quite interesting because the city records they kept were so it's so intact. Mm-hmm. So the first lady who started dancing was named Frau Trafia, we know her name. She stepped out into the streets one day and started dancing and couldn't stop. And it was unusual even then so it really did cause quite a stir and people sort of gathered around to discuss why this was. Um, and such was the kind of misogyny of the time that the diagnosis they gave was that they thought she was trying to embarrass her husband and like, publicly shame him by dancing in the street. So she got carted off to a sanatorium and that would have perhaps just like stayed as it was but actually that theory didn't quite stack up because by the time they'd taken her away and brought her back, more people had started dancing and it slowly started to... Escalate and snowball. So what Lucy and I were really fascinated by with this kind of tale is the sort of absurd but very genuine reasons that they had, mm. the kind of searching for rationality of why is this thing happening. So the astrologers that they um, spoke to thought it was because you know, Medusa was in the seventh head of this and it's making everybody go crazy. They thought that they were cursed by Saint Vitus. Even now, Saint Vitus' curse is when your knees, um, you have jumpy knees. So they thought Saint Vitus had cursed and that the devil was in their bodies dancing out their kind of sinfulness. Mm. They thought perhaps that they had ergot poisoning, which is a t- ergot is a type of mould that grows on rye bread. So they thought they were all just kind of um, nutting out on a <laughs> hallucinogen. Yes. Um, yeah, and then... Curiously, this one was really bizarre They consulted the doctors And they said the doctors thought that all the dancers Or choreomaniacs as they were called Which I just think is so fabulous As a term Um, So they thought that the choreomaniacs Were dancing like this because they had Hot blood And the doctors said that the best way to cool hot blood was by vigorous exercise. So they prescribed more dancing (laughs) to the dancing. Um, So that was the official line. Um, So the... um, Uh, powers of Strasbourg paid for raised stages to be built they paid for professional musicians and dancers to come in to help them dance it out and things obviously escalated in a terrible terrible way and so the musicians started falling into the dance trance so did the dancers more people falling into it and it was just becoming kind of unstoppable and people would were clearly dancing through some form of trance. There Mm. wasn't necessarily a sense of enjoyment. So people, they talk about, um, sorry, this is terrible, but like blood coming through their shoes and they said that people were dropping down out of like um, heart failure and exhaustion and dehydration and starvation. And so I don't think it was necessarily a pretty sight. Um, And yet there was something about it around dance and trance and transcendence through movement that Mm. Lucien and I were... Um, Enamoured by when we read the story. The final kind of chapter to this, um, the tale, is that obviously the doctor's suggestion hadn't worked and they got them, you know, the intellectual people together again. And throughout all of our research and we really deep dived into it, we can't figure out why the next suggestion came up. But the next thing they did was that they decided to give everybody red shoes.
1: Oh no, is this... And
2: this actually predates every other example that we have found of dancing being connected with red shoes. So we're sharing a moment of recognition here across our microphones because of the Hans Christian Andersen story Mm, mm. about the little girl with red shoes who wanted to wear her nice new shoes to church and her grandmother said no, she wore them anyway. And then as she left the church steps her shoes took her off dancing through the countryside and she couldn't stop and she couldn't take them off and eventually she had to chop her feet off and then she decided to be pious and good. So this then followed and we have these, you know, the wonderful, wonderful, I think it was 1945 work, The Red Shoes, which featured Moira Shearer and some of the um, Ballet Roof's members who were still performing and it really beautiful, beautiful work and similar concept to the Hans Christian Andersen story but... This dancing plague at the end for them to decide to give them red shoes was this you know, kind of enigmatic answer to the problem because red was the most expensive dye at the time, so mm. they were really giving them this very precious gift. They gave them the red shoes. They either put them on carts or made them walk to a nearby cave in the town of Severn. The cave was, the, um, I guess, the church of St Vitus, um, who had spoken about earlier with his eggs and there is that's where the kind of story of this sort of gently comes to an end the priest said mass over them and made them walk around the altar a few times in different formations and things and the story peters out but how amazing it, really it was is. amazing yeah and as a response to kind of trauma so that was kind of those were the kind of the amazing things that we looked at and what we really were looking at was kind of like still why, but also we kind of understood, Lucy and I innately understood as artists, the response to trauma or political strife Mm -hmm. or um,
1: uh, Um, personal um,
2: things that you're dealing with to be through art and through expression. So while we're looking at these kind of bizarre things of, you know, they're trying to name this and that and the other, it felt very natural to us that this was their response. And... Yeah,
1: yeah, that's very, very amazing. Um, so I now I know um, <laughs> the, all about it, and congratulations for that being a commission. That was wonderful. Thank you. Um, so we're just sort of running out of time, but I think um, so. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's been really, really interesting and a pleasure. And um, we wish you and your dance theatre company a successful second half of 2021. Thank um, you. So I think we might um, just leave. Our listeners, with this quote by Gabriel Roth from um, Caroline Plummer's website. Yes. If you just set people in motion, they'll heal themselves, which I think is, is really lovely and it's such a wonderful gift to have this, um, to have this fellowship as well.
2: Yeah, it's uh, extraordinary. I really don't know of any other fellowship like this, not even in New Zealand, but around the world. It truly is new- unique and I think it speaks a lot to just what an exceptional person she was, that this was her vision and legacy. It's very special to be a part of it.
1: Fantastic, thank you so much Well, now um, listeners, we'll cut to uh, some music. Brian Ferry, he'll be singing You Can Dance Mm -hmm. dawn, it when it came to me I've been raving through the night Looking for some company It was the limbo talking It's got a lot to say Do you come here often? Do you want to play? We'll hitchhike into Paris.
2: Dead blood. Public art Gallery, art in the heart of the city. From exhibitions of works from the gallery's own collection to the best of local, national, and international shows, there's always something to inspire and challenge. Dunedin Public Art Gallery in the Octagon is open every day from 10 till 5. With a free children's play space and a great gift shop with the best range of cards in town. Check out dunedin.art.museum for a full list of exhibitions, events and activities.
1: Kia ora koutou, welcome to those listeners who've just joined us on today's Otago Access Radio Arts Hub. I have with me in the studio Karen Reid and Alex Wilkin, who will discuss their project The Albany Street Jazz Loft with us. Dunedin slash Wellington Indie Jazz duo Karen Reid, Voice and Alex Wilkin. Welcome guitar are known for their focus on jazz noir, and I can tell you that this is a challenging genre of jazz for both voice and guitar, and this duo are extremely expert performers. However, today they're going to be talking to us about a new jazz venue opening tomorrow evening that they've been working hard to bring to fruition for some time. Kia ora, Karen and Alex. Kiora. K- Could you give us a little background on this project? Well, um,
0: it started I guess with um, a performing arts initiative um, ad hoc productions which kind of kicked off things on my return from the Christchurch earthquake. So, beat a beta retreat from there back in 2011 and this was to present some um, original creative cabaret which included jazz um and that went on for several years was very successful and then there was a kind of the progression of that was to kind of uh form a trust so a trust was formed at the end of 2014 and uh, we named that the Dunedin Jazz Cabaret and Performing Arts Trust so that was um born then and um uh A jazz festival was supposed to take place in 2016 but there were some unforeseen circumstances which I won't go into and then a a hiatus period because I had to go overseas for family and do some other things. And now back in Dunedin, um, the Albany... Thinking about what to present under the umbrella of that trust and so the Albany Street jazz loft came about from that
1: thinking and um and so uh was it an obvious space for you did you see it as being
0: um well alex and i'd been kind of bouncing around some ideas about well where's a good venue because it would have it needed to be a pop-up venue because i for one i'm not in, too interested in sort of commercial spaces mm-hmm. um i like independent pop-up spaces um just because I think it adds another layer of character. Um, So it was quite difficult to think of that in Dunedin with, with this. There's a few kind of... Yeah, where have all our spaces gone? (laughs) Well, that's right. Um, And then all of a sudden... uh, I had used the Playhouse Theatre in the past back in 2011 and 2012 and really enjoyed putting on um, performances both in the theatre itself and the upstairs coffee lounge, which I really liked as well as a space. And um, the Playhouse had closed, I believe, over the... um, lockdown period obviously but i think they had had some refurbishment and then all of a sudden i saw that they had opened again and i thought yes that is the place Mm -hmm. the coffee space upstairs the coffee lounge because a small intimate space was what i wanted for the project
1: yes um thinking about the idea of a small project um a project with a small space <laughs> i should say because it's not a small project i'm <laughs> sure um so i note that you are happiest performing in small venues with small audiences yeah so that's my preference it is preference it's <laughs> yeah. not just a happenstance um mm-hmm. but it, i would imagine then that it is quite hard to find some small spaces that mm. work because there are quite a lot of bigger ones mm. uh, but then you, you probably have to, um, you know, spend quite a bit of money hiring them perhaps. Yes, indeed. But we also ran up
0: against the fact that the small spaces probably wasn't going to cover the costs and it doesn't, hence putting in doing some fundraising around that to kind of support the venture. But the small intimate space is a key component of the project
1: so that's quite interesting, and so that will limit who you may yeah. want to have um, performing here as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, depending on the instrument, um, maximum of five, but it would be more likely trios and quartets or duos or, yeah. Mm. Yeah,
1: and we do have quite a lot of trios, quartets and duos, but... Yeah, we, we don't think a big band would fit into that. Space. No, I think
0: that's already been kind of covered with the Hanover Hall yeah. project. Yeah. Like that's yeah. their culpapa. Yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, I think it is really nice that we have quite a lot of jazz in the city. Um, you know, it's a bit sporadic at times, but, um, yeah. So um, I'll just ha- just let everyone know that um, who's joined us today on October at access radio um i'm talking to karen reed and alex Walken, jazz duo who've created the jazz um, venue the uh, albany street jazz loft which opens tomorrow evening um so could you let us um the listeners and myself know something about the venue and the inaugural performers duncan haynes trio i know you've already spoken a little bit about the fact that it's the upstairs which sounds really interesting um
0: mm. yeah Alex did you want to talk about who's coming and the space how did you find it
3: Um Yeah well the the space is uh, kind of intriguingly sort of retro and vintage kind of it has that kind of vibe you know there's sort of a little bit of theater paraphernalia up there and we're going to use well people who come along and on Friday will find out what we do with it but we' we're, we're trying to uh, um use utilize sort of minimal means to transform it and yeah <laughs> in the most uh suitable it won't way be possibly.
0: glamorous in any shape or form
3: it's no <laughs> and, but that's not what we were really looking yeah. for either um we we were you know kind of after something I guess a wee bit uh grungy well, but um the Duncan Haynes trio uh Uh, A very, very consummate group of performers, Duncan Haynes himself, uh, I interviewed uh, on the radio show that I do fortnightly on Radio 1 about four days ago, uh, and... Uh, that was really interesting hearing about his life. You know, he's played professionally and recorded professionally with some um, quite top level people in London, Paris, uh, in Louisiana. He played in a rock band and went to the States. When ended up in Louisiana playing blues, uh, then ended up relocating uh, with his, I think, his, his current wife at the time to uh, Peru and taught music. Mm. The university in Lima, uh, so played uh, a lot of kind of Afro-Cuban and I think Afro, well, I guess Afro-Peruvian uh, and uh, Latin jazz pop kind of crossover music. Uh, but at the same time, you know, he's put out albums of really quite avant-garde, um, kind of border borderline free improvisation. So he's a he's a very um, Kind of, uh, he's a he's a man of eclectic tastes. Mm. Although his uh, the main thrust of his work is jazz, yes. and mm. and what he does with this trio kind of fits into a kind of uh, what you might call post bop. Uh, it's sort of there's elements of the language of of bebop, but it's it's taken things in a in a kind of more um, complex direction. You know, so you could hear elements of actually like like the the kind of Music, the likes of Miles Davis or um, Wayne Shorter were moving towards in the 60s. You can hear elements of that sound, I think, in it, but it's also contemporary. It's also distinctly, you know, he's, it's got a distinctly um, kind of, yeah, nowadays, as, as vibe well as a classical.
0: Oh yeah, there's a. You can hear that well. coming
3: through, and is playing as well. Mm. I, I think, uh, according to his bio, anyway, I think he started off as a cello player when he was a kid, so um, he's got uh, uh, something of a classical background as well. Uh, that's my understanding, at least. Mm. And uh, Mark and Seth, who play with him, uh, um, you know really interesting musicians in their own right. Mark, uh, is, the drummer, is also a. a Composer, He's got his own quartet, the Mark Lockett Quartet, uh, and he's spent a lot of time overseas as well. Duncan was overseas for 20 years. Mm. Mark was probably overseas for...
0: Probably about the same time, but yeah. Mark brings a kind of New York flavour and yeah, to yeah. his they, drumming. They, you can they, definitely they, hear that come through.
3: They went d- in different directions geographically, mm. and that sort of is possibly... Um, resulted in a kind of different flavour to the way they play, but uh, Duncan was saying the other day in the interview that um, um, he was sort of amazed at how on the same page... They were having, you know, run into each other, having known each other in maybe the 90s and then run into each other in New Zealand for the first time in about 20 years, having both been overseas. And Mm. like Karen said, Mark was in New York for a long time. Mm. I think he was also in London. Yeah, and Australia. Yeah, and uh, Seth is quite a lot younger than them. Uh, He's in his 20s, but he's a very um, talented, up and coming young player who's just come through jazz school, I think.
0: Just come through, and I've just seen him just go. From amazing creative and musical strength over the last year, so seeing him in this trio format with Duncan's playing Duncan's work was just so impressive. He's a wonderful player. That's yeah.
1: amazing. And, and what does he play?
0: Double bass. He plays the bass. Ah, yeah. okay, yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, um, sort of bass, drums, and <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, Duncan's going to bring his keyboard because we don't
1: have a a grand piano
0: up there. No, unfortunately (laughs) not. (laughs) A bit small. Small space too. Small space. mm, Very up close mm. and uh, personal. We we did set up the seating. It was an experiment, you know. um, And we've got 60 people coming along. And we've had to kind of put the seating in a kind of more formal setting to get everybody in there. You know, we may not get as many people along the next time. So we might be able to get a bit more wriggle room in there with a few tables, but we're delighted that so many people wanted to come and see Duncan and his trio... Yeah, in that space, communing in that space.
1: Yeah, I think possibly too. um, Some people haven't been to the Playhouse for such a long time. Yes, or never. Yeah, Yeah. possibly. And so they're a little bit curious in that way as well, but they also get to be entertained. Yes,
0: absolutely. We we do apologise for the stairs that you do have to climb. Mm. That's just, uh, it's just not fully accessible. But they're very forgiving stairs. They're not too... Yeah. steep but I think that's part of the journey as uh, well yeah. you know yeah. into the space
1: mm. yeah no I think I th- yeah so it sounds really good um, and you have have you got a bit of a line up coming up um, we've uh, got
0: the, we'll make an announcement of who we've got for August at okay. the night, so the people oh, that are nice. there at the night will get to hear who's coming uh, and spread the word. Yes, yeah, spread the word. Yeah. yeah.
1: Oh, that sounds great. Now, um, as far as your own um, music and compositions go, <laughs> um, I did hear. Um, a rumour that you were working on an album, is this true?
0: <laughs> we're trying to, but this project kind of got in the way for a few months there. Mm. Um, we started writing last year um, and we've travelled to Wellington and back again So, and, and doing some work as well. So all of that does impact on the yes. writing stuff, but that that is our main kind of focus mm. yeah
3: yeah it's still in the works yeah <laughs> right yeah. watch this space yes yeah. well it'll be
1: exciting um and did you perform at the arts festival or was covid did covid hit everything at that stage I've, um, i'm a bit vague now we performed at the wellington
0: jazz festival mm. which it's was postponed and, and took place in november last year oh, okay. mm. yeah right yeah and yep. we performed with um double bassist and composer umar zakaria yeah
1: um, I think you came yes, to that, concert, came didn't to that you? concert last year that we yes, debuted. At. that's right. Yeah, um, yes. Yeah, so that was quite interesting because that was a, a trio, the three of you. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. We enjoyed that collaboration mm. very much. I have yeah. to say
1: that the last of your. Um, concerts that I went to, um, it was very upfront and personal. I think I was sitting maybe two feet away from yeah, I the, know. the both of you. Are. I hope I, I didn't spit on you no. or anything you know, <laughs> <laughs> accidentally. No, and, and I thought, gosh, this is really close. But once once you, you start singing and playing, it's just what it is. Yeah, and once you you, don't you start notice. breathing together, yeah. I think yeah. everyone can just relax into that vibe.
0: It's yeah. probably not as up close and, and personal, but it will still feel... Um, Yeah, it it works quite well, that intimate mm, space, yes.
1: mm. Um, Yeah, so, um, well, unfortunately, people won't be able to come to see (laughs) No. (laughs) Because because it's booked out. But I guess that's a good, um, you know, promotional line as well for August. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, yes.
0: And um, the program that we do um, aim to um, present... Um, you know, apart from its contemporary and in innovative kind of um, style, we hope that it's eclectic in that. So you'll be getting audiences will be getting a different flavour mm. mm. of that contemporary style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah,
1: and do you and see that's still s- developing? And yes, still in excellent. Yeah. yeah, and do you see yourselves? performing there as well
0: actually we thought we might um, program ourselves into mm. it maybe a bit later on in the year mm. when we
1: perhaps have some
0: more original music to present mm. as mm. well mm. yeah
1: we thought we would yeah. yeah yep um but then there is a lot of you know organization as well doing this of course it's something yeah. you probably both love but it's still you know administration and uh. yes mm. um yeah
0: No comment. (laughs) I'm kind of over it, but um, it had to be done and and there's still some more funding applications and there's always going to be... I do put a lot of effort into the publicity and the promotion and and it does need to be worked on. Selling, Selling out that... The concert took a lot of hard work. Mm, I would know. imagine so. Yeah. Yeah, it's constant nurturing. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes,
1: and you know, funding rounds. You know, yeah, uh,
0: deadlines. Yeah, mm.
1: yeah, they are quite hard work at times as well. Yeah, and, you know, you have to sort of think innovatively and. Um, mm. yeah. Well,
0: we're happy to delight that, uh, delighted to announce that yesterday we are the happy recipients of an Otago Community Trust donation. Mm. Um, that that's we great. applied for, so uh, I feel that um, the the project is um, yeah being met favourably.
1: That's really great. Mm. Congratulations. Mm. Thank you. That's that's, um, that's yeah. amazing. I mean, it's not huge. It, w- no. it was just yeah. Yeah. It's it's a recognition. I think so, mm-hmm. and
0: hopefully the DCC will um, support us mm. in mm. the next round. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's very very excellent. Um, well, I, um, I can't think of much else that I would like to ask you. Would you like to mention anything that we have perhaps just coasted over the top of? I'm going to be very excited to see what you're doing with the space.
0: Yeah, well, don't get too excited. No. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, no. It'll be,
0: it be dark. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll all be just like um, hoping, I'm hoping there's enough oxygen in <laughs> the space. Um, and oh, well, it can always rush up the stairs. <laughs> yeah, we can always <laughs> open the window, to be honest. <laughs> we do, we're, we're going to have a bar, so um, we'll be running a cash bar and there'll be supper there, some homemade soup and lovely Toasted sandwiches and things like that So that people can to come the, along mm, yeah, and, yeah and have a glass of wine Or a beer or yeah. Something else and something to
1: sup on Yeah yeah, that's mm. nice I mean yeah, I think uh, that kind of Intimacy of space Lends itself to quite a warm Feeling
0: Yeah I hope so mm. Even though it's kind of a bit more formally Set out the seating mm. than I Envisaged um, I think it will still be cosy
1: Yes. Yeah, cosy, yeah. warm feels. But yeah. you know, having set up very many chairs myself, <laughs> I, I know that you can get more people in if you have it. If form. I had to, yeah. yes, yeah.
0: I think I've pushed it to the max. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's good. I'm excited, and what I'm excited about, and um, is the variety of backgrounds of the people that are coming oh, to the that's show tonight. Really interesting. Yeah. yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I forgot to mention. Um, We've got the deputy mayor coming beforehand to launch it like a ship. (laughs) It's
1: very, very special. Is there going to be a bit of a champagne breakage? Um, Oh, I hadn't thought that far.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking my health and safety hat on here. Oh, yeah, of Mm -hmm. course. I think she's coming to just say a few words. Yeah, that's really lovely. um, It's very, very nice. But um, Duncan and the trio... we very excited to be invited to come to the to the mm. launch and that was very humbling wasn't it alex mm.
3: and they then kind of constructed a tour yeah. around it uh, so they're doing so a wee so they could
0: afford to get down here oh, that's <laughs> so, that, so, so good. they're doing a
3: wee south island tour at the moment i yeah. think they're playing in christchurch tonight uh, yeah. at space academy and uh, they've been in picton uh, maybe last night or the night before yep. uh, and then after Dunedin they're going to be playing at uh, i think the venue's called Fair, Fairfield House yeah something like that in Nelson yeah yeah
1: yep. mm. oh that sounds great well thanks so much for um for being on this week's arts hub thank you for
3: inviting thanks.
1: it's great to talk about the project um with you Linda cuz i i know you've how much you love jazz Yes I do and um so um Yeah, ongoing jazz, and uh, we wish you all the best for a cool jazz future. Thank you. Thanks very much, Linda. Cheers. Um, So we do have time. Do we have time for a Duncan Haynes and Matthew Mitchell um, piece, Abolition? Ooh. Mm. You've been listening to Arts Hub, our weekly spotlight on the arts scene in Otipoti, Dunedin. My thanks to Lucy Marinkovic and Karen Reed and Alex Welcome for joining us today. If you'd like to listen again to this programme or past editions of the show... You'll find podcasts of Arts Hub from ORFM's website, oar.org.nz. On next week's program, we get the lowdown on visiting the beautiful Joanna Margaret Paul tempera paintings of the Station of the Cross at St Mary's Star of the Sea in Port Chalmers. And there's more, so do join us. We actually have something for the fashionistas as well.